shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never The unchanging word begins our study in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, and then quickly into Romans chapter 6. Well, having ended with the statement in verse 21 that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, the Apostle Paul goes on to ask this question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, it sounds logical, doesn't it? But Paul, by the Spirit of God, cuts short that way of thinking and reasoning for the Christian by saying, No way, God forbid, let's not sin that grace may abound. And why? Because of the cross of Christ. Christ died for us and took our sins away. The believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is now dead to sin and alive to God in the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. Well, Dr. Mitchell expounds on these truths today and in the coming lessons as we study in Romans chapter 6. So turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 5, verse 21 to begin. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. We are discussing together the book of Romans. Now, and allow me again to repeat, this is the one book that gives to us the gospel of God systematically set forth. The other epistles of the Apostle Paul are based upon this foundational book, Romans. And I wish I could get into the heart of every Christian that he should spend some time in reading and rereading the Word of God, and especially this book of Romans. Now, if you want to know something of the sweetness and the gentleness and the compassion and tenderness of Christ, I suggest you read the four Gospels. Just sit down and read a, a, one of them right through. 28 chapters in Matthew wouldn't take you too long. 16 in Mark, 
24 in Luke and 21 in John. But if you read the four gospel, you find these four men who are reporters reporting about the life and ministry of our Savior and get a taste of the sweetness of our Savior as he dealt with men and women. But when it comes down to church doctrine, then we must come to the epistles. And the book of Romans is the foundational book. In fact, I make bold to say that unless one is established in the book of Romans, they're lacking something of the knowledge of the gospel of God. For here we have the Spirit of God giving to us God's good news for men. And we found in the first few chapters, first five chapters, man's terrible condition in need of righteousness and of how God has stepped forward and made the provision not only to put away our sins, but also to cover us with the righteousness of Christ. And now we're dealing with God's way of sanctifying his people. And, and there are many ways man has a way of sanctification, and God has a way of sanctification, which we're going to find here in chapter 6. But first of all, in chapter 5, from verses 12, right on down through verse 21, uh, the Apostle Paul begins to open up the argument, or should I say the the truth concerning sanctification. And we need more than forgiveness. We need more than a righteous standing. We need life. And we find that when a person accepts a Savior, he receives life, eternal life, the very life of God. Now, when we were born into the world, as Romans 5 says, we were born under sin. The one act of Adam brought ruin to the human race. But... The one act of Christ at the cross brought salvation, deliverance, righteousness, forgiveness, eternal life to those who are in him. And everyone today to whom I speak, in fact, everyone on the face of the earth is either in Christ or they're still in Adam. That is, they're seen by God in Adam. And in Adam's race, death reigns. Sin reigns unto death. The wages of sin is death. You can't dodge it. You can't go on strike. You can't sit down. You can't quit the job. You've got to receive your wages. Well, how am I going to get free? Then either you pay the wages or someone else does. Now, I find in chapter 5 that the Lord Jesus came in by his one act on the cross. He delivered us, translated us out of Adam's race into a new race, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's precious Son. That when a man or a woman, irrespective of their background or their sinful life, if they will accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the mean business, and they take him as their Savior, put their trust in him, they pass into a, into a new kingdom, into the kingdom of light, into a new race where everyone has eternal life. Now, this is what you have in chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, where sin abounds, Grace does superabound, and that like as sin hath reigned unto death, and you can't deny this, sin reigns unto death. You see it all around you. Our graveyards are full of the footage of sin. And if the Lord tarry, every one of us will go out of this human family by the way of death. Death reigns. But if you're in Jesus Christ, he gives you life eternal. We go immediately into the presence of God. I'm talking about believers now. 
grace superabounds, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Which leads me now into the sixth chapter. And when we come to the sixth chapter of Romans, we're coming to a, a chapter that's absolutely full of foundational truth concerning not the question of S-I-N-S, not the question of forgiveness or justification, but the question of being delivered from sin as a master. Now, the question has been raised in chapter 5. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Then, then Paul, if grace superabounds wherever sin is, let us sin that grace may abound. So he raises the question in chapter 6, the first verse. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead because of sin live any longer therein? Now, I'm not going to go any further than that as far as reading the Scripture is concerned. I do want to say one or two things before we go into the chapter. When you come to the sixth chapter of Romans, you're coming to the basic chapter in the Bible on how God delivers his people from sin as a master. Now, remember that sin is a tyrant. Sin is a tyrant. You can't afford, Christian friend, you can't afford to play with sin. You say, well, I wouldn't lie, I wouldn't steal, I wouldn't get drunk, I wouldn't do this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sin as a whole. You and I may make uh, differences of, uh, between people and what they do and what you do. Sin is sin, whether it's a big one or a little one. Sin is sin and pays wages. Now, the question has been raised, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And Paul goes on down through the chapter and informs us that we have been delivered from sin as a master. Now, in chapter 5, we were delivered from death through the death of Christ. Or, as I said in our last lesson, the death of Christ severs the relationship from Adam's race in chapter 5, which is under death. Chapter 6, the Christian, through the death of Christ, the, his relationship to sin as a master has been broken. This we no longer, no longer owe sin anything. It's no longer our master. Now, it's an amazing thing, and I'm going to do this. I think I'll do this before we go into the chapter. I do this because of the confusion in a great many Christians' minds concerning this question of victory or deliverance from sin as a master. Sometimes one can go to a spiritual life conference or a, uh, a victorious life conference or you can go and get sanctified or some say you've got to get the baptism of the Spirit and you have various, various doctrines on basically all trying to do one thing. How can I get freed from sin as a master? How can I glorify God in my life when I'm so frail and so weak? I have a body that is not yet redeemed. You see, our salvation is not yet complete in our experience. It is true we've been forgiven and justified. 
As far as God is concerned, he sees us glorified in his Son. There are certain facts that are true. You don't experience facts. You experience life. The facts are to be believed. The life is to be experienced. And we find that Christians, having come into contact with the Savior, loving the Lord Jesus, and wanting to please him, they find that sometimes the more they try to please the Lord, the more they fail. And I know I'm talking to a lot of folk who know this in your experience. It just seems the more you try to please God, the more you fail. The more you try to live a holy life, the more you do things you don't want to do. Is that not true? So man tries to formulate a way whereby he can be delivered from the power of sin in his life. As I say, and I repeat it, we have bodies that are not yet redeemed. My body, your body has desires. Your body has lusts. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, Christians do sin. And there are some people who say, well, when you have a certain experience, you have the roots of sin taken out and you never sin. Allow me to just make a little contrast. For example, Man tries by the energy of his will, by his flesh, to overcome the power of sin in the life. Certain things, of course, you can see it in the other fellow, but you don't see it in yourself. We see a lot, we see a lot of things in the other man that we don't like. We say, if he's a Christian, why does he do certain things? He might be saying the same thing about you. Well, oftentimes we're blind to our own failures and frailties. Others people say it. But how can I get delivered? I'm yearning for a life that's pleasing to God. I want to be like the Savior when he said, I do always the things that please him. And it just seems the more I try, the, the worse it gets. So we try in the energy of the flesh. We keep our chins up and try by willpower. We say, I'm not going to do that thing again. It's dishonoring to the Lord, it's sin, and I'm not going to do it again. And you confess your sin to the Lord, and you turn right around and do it all over again. Of course, you're trying by the energy of the flesh, and there's no deliverance that way. Now, what is God's way? God wants you to trust him for the deliverance. You mean, you mean God will give me the deliverance? That's right. We're going to see that, and there's a ground for it. But it's going to take faith on your part and faith on my part. See, my experience says one thing. God says something else. Like, for example, the second thing. Man's way, he tries, uh, well, I try to serve the Lord, and there's some of myself there too. You know, there's a little song where it ends up something like, like this. In the first verse, it was all of self and none of him. And then I think the second or third verse is some of self and some of him. The last verse is none of self and all of him. Now, I'm talking about a very difficult thing. I know this. It's so easy for us to jump into the picture and want to do it ourselves. And we find every time we try to do it in the energy of the flesh, we fail. And God wants us to let him do it. It's a question of us yielding ourselves to him. This is not, this is not 
an act once for all where a person has an experience and he gets sanctified and the roots of sin are taken out. As I said to one dear friend of mine, and I don't question he loves the Lord. We were discussing this very thing. He said, well, Mr. Mitchell, I haven't sinned in 10 years. I said, I'm sorry, but I can't agree with you. I don't believe you. Before you were justified, you did a thing and it was sin. After you were justified, you did it again and it was still sin. Now you're sanctified and you do it again. It's only a mistake. Oh, no. Oh, no, let's be realistic about this. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. And anything that is contrary to the divine character is sin. Let's not just say one thing is not sin, another thing is sin. Let's be realistic about this. But we, we pray, we fast, we do things, but there's still some of self there. So you still fail God. And I guarantee to you that God must do it all. He's the Savior, not a part Savior. Well, I know he saved me from the guilt of sin, the penalty of sin. But what about the power of sin? No, this is a case where it calls for a daily walk with God yielding to him. Not of self, but of God. And then there are those who try to do it by crucifying self. Now, let me tell you this. Remember, the Lord Jesus did not crucify himself. They crucified him. You're talking about an impossibility. Now, it may be, and I think I should say this, it may be a question of, of, uh, of words, of how, you, of how you speak concerning this. But the Bible does not teach self-crucifixion. Well, doesn't it say someplace we ought to take up our cross and follow him? Yes, but what's the cross? What's the cross? Christ must come before self. That's true. But that's not self-crucifixion. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, we were crucified with Christ. It's past. If I talk about crucifying self, then I must be on the other side of the cross. And I believe we're on resurrection side, not on the other side. Colossians 3.1 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek the things that are above. For you were crucified with Christ. We have died to sin once for all. Which leads to the fourth thing. There are those who teach that we die daily to sin. Now, as I said a moment ago, this could be a question of words. I think in the main, we want the same thing. We want to live a life pleasing to God. But that's come God's way. Man says we die daily to sin. Now, there's no such scripture about that. In Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, If after the manner of men we have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what's the advantage of it if the dead rise not? Behold, I die daily. Die daily to what? Why, Paul was living in daily anticipation and expectation of martyrdom. That's why you could say, if after the manner of men we have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what's the advantage of being, of being a martyr if there's no resurrection? I die daily. Or he said in Romans 8, we are led as sheep to the slaughter. No, friend. 
The Bible says in Romans 6, in verse 8, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that has died is freed from sin. He's talking about here, God says we're dead to sin. Our history as sinners came to an end at the cross. This is not something you feel or experience. This is a fact. A fact. Facts, I repeat, are to be believed. You don't experience facts. You experience life. But before I can experience this life in Christ, being freed from sin as a master, I must acknowledge by faith what God says is true, that when Christ died, you and I died. We're new men, new women in Christ. Now, just one more thing in the chapter. And I haven't taken the chapter up, but I'm just kind of clearing the decks. You will notice in the chapter there are some great facts set before us. The first thing is we ought to know the facts. Paul says, don't you know, don't you know? We ought to know the facts. And knowing the facts, we are to believe the facts. The second thing is we ought to reckon the facts to be true. We ought to reckon the facts to be true. The third thing in the chapter is we ought to yield our bodies as those who are alive from the dead. Then he goes on through the rest of the passages through chapter 8, we are to walk pleasing to him. And that, of course, is walking in the Spirit, which we find in chapter 8. I'd like to repeat those four things again. We are to know the facts. Let's not be ignorant of the facts. What God says is true. Secondly, we are to acknowledge, to reckon the facts to be true. And then we are to yield our bodies to him so that he can work through us, which of course brings us to the fourth one, we are to walk pleasing to the Lord. That's what the Lord wants. As we go into this sixth chapter, I hope you will read it and reread it and reread it. I know there has been a great deal of confusion about this question of being delivered from the power of sin in our daily walk and manner of life. And God has a way and friend, do you not think that God's way is the best way? Then let us know the facts, reckon them to be true, believe them to be true, and then act upon it by yielding our members unto him. So now next lesson we'll take up Romans chapter 6. And may the Lord wonderfully bless you today in the reading of Romans. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. Let nothing between, nothing between 
not his blessed face may be seen, nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear, let nothing between. Nothing between many hard trials, though the whole world against me convene, watching with prayer and much self-denial, I'll triumph at last with nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen, nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.